Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. If we're not careful that we get so used to seeing grace, we get so used to talking about grace that we can miss some of the important aspects and some of the important concepts of grace. Grace. Just the sound of the word seems comforting. Of course, grace is a word that is mentioned often in the Christian community, but how often do we really stop to think about grace and all that it means for our lives? Much of life is, is not something to celebrate, is it? Much of life is hard. Much of life is, is, is misery at times. Much of life is painful. Much of life is, is uncertain and, and fear and all that kind of stuff. And so it is absolutely, say it again, it's absolutely imperative that you and I choose to celebrate the fact that grace has come into our lives. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. As we continue our study through the book of Mark, we come today to the calling of Levi, or Matthew as Jesus is going to call him. It's a beautiful example of what happens when Jesus comes into contact with a person. And as Pastor Clay is going to explain, Levi's life would never be the same once the grace giver came his way. Here's Pastor Clay with today's message on the wonderful gift of grace. I went to the gym recently. Don't, don't, why, don't laugh when I say that. That's, that hurts, hurts me deeply. I go to the gym quite often and uh, I, I was, I was at the gym last well, I was gone last week in Florida, <laughs> but the week before, actually the last day before we left, I was at the gym, and um, you know, uh, with the time of day that I go to the gym, uh, by the time I get there, it's usually getting kind of crowded. It's, you know, 4.30, going towards 5 o'clock-ish, and you know, everybody's coming in work, so it gets kind of crowded. Well, by the time that I finish my stretching, and at my age, stretching is probably the most important thing that I do. Uh, by the time I finish stretching and uh, do a little bit of weight work, they're <laughs> uh, <laughs> not buying it. Never mind. By the time I finish, by the time I finish stretching, by the time I finish my weight work, and I move over to the cardio portion of my workout, and I usually, I sometimes I'll do a rowing machine, sometimes I'll do elliptical, but I usually do a treadmill. Um, and the primary reason is because they have a row of treadmills that have TVs hooked to them. And uh, I, can, I can watch TV while I'm treadmilling. Well, by the time I get there, oftentimes at the gym where I go to, all the treadmills with the TVs are, are full up already. And I get kind of frustrated about that and all, everything. But anyway, so the last week I was at the gym and I finished my stretch and I finished my weight work. And I was pleasantly surprised as I, I, I kind of looked up and I could see over there that all the treadmills with the TVs, almost every one of them were open. There's only, I think, one, one person down on one end was using. And I was kind of excited to see that. So, so I'm walking over to the treadmills, right? Okay, and I've got my, my earphones in and been listening to my music. And I'm in the process of, of uh, turning off my music to get ready to plug into the TV. And uh, so I'm looking down at my phone and, and I've got my earphones, so I don't really hear anything. And I, and I, but you know, out of, per, out of your peripheral vision, you know, you can kind of see things, you know. So as I'm walking, walking, as I walk up to the treadmill that's closest to me, and, and as I go to step up on the treadmill, the treadmill is running. <laughs> Apparently, at a fairly good clip. Because when, by the time, when my foot hit that treadmill, the rest of me went everywhere. I'm telling you, there was pastor flying all over that gym. And, 
I, I just, please, please, someone tell me, who just leaves a treadmill running? No one, I'm telling you, no one is around in this treadmill. No one's around. Well, of course, by the time I hit the ground, everybody is around. I mean, people are running everywhere, seeing if they can help the old man up and see if he needs any, any help and see if there's, are you injured and, and all this kind of stuff. Listen, the only good thing that came out of this was I was wearing a cross-culture church t-shirt, so I'm pretty sure everybody in that gym knows about this, this church now. I wish I had been paying better attention. I, I really do. I'm still suffering from some of the injuries. I, I, I wish I had been paying better attention. Uh, you, ever, you ever see something so much? You ever, you ever look at something so much that you almost stop seeing it? You know what I mean by that? I wish I'd been paying better attention to the treadmills. But they were always there. And I was just excited that there were some of them that were open. I wish I had been looking a little more closely. You know... Uh, Grace is kind of like that. Grace is a, is a word and it's a theological concept that, that is spoken of a good bit in Christian circles, especially in church oftentimes, in life groups, things like that. You'll, you'll hear the word grace bantied around. You'll hear the concept of grace talked about. And, and I'm kind of afraid that if, we, that if we're not careful, that we get so used to seeing grace, we get so used to talking about grace, that we can miss some of the important aspects and some of the important concepts of grace. This morning uh, in Mark chapter 2, and if you have your Bible with you, you can be turning there in the, in the latter half. Actually, this morning and next week. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the second half of Mark chapter 2 and some important concepts about grace for our lives. Mark chapter 2, uh, we're beginning this morning in verse... Uh, 14. Are you glad you're here today? Amen. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> and walking. Uh, beginning in verse 14. As he passed by, notice the capital H, talking about Jesus. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees, they were part of the religious bunch, when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and and they came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. 
And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never heard what David did when he was in need? And he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Father, thanks uh, for your word, which is truth without any mixture of error. It is able to accomplish in our lives uh, exactly what you desire to accomplish if we will consume it, take it in, ingest it, and surrender to it. Uh, today, as we begin to, to look at grace, specifically at grace over the next couple of weeks, uh, I'm asking you just to, to fill us with your wisdom and your knowledge. We'd have a better understanding and appreciation for your grace. And today, even as we talk for a few moments about this gift of grace, and then we commemorate and celebrate the act that made your grace possible to us, your son's death on the cross. May everything that is said and done in this place be pleasing in your sight. Not just the songs that we sing or the way that we sound or, or the, the prayers that we offer up or, or the preaching. That may all of it be acceptable in your sight and pleasing to the only God who is worthy of our time and our praise. Teach us so that we might be better followers of Jesus. In his name that we pray. Amen. Let's talk about some concepts of grace this morning. I'm going to, time permitting, we handle a couple of them this morning, and we'll look at the rest of them next week. I'm going to start with this one this morning. An invitation to grace. It starts with this invitation to grace. In verse uh, 14, we have uh, Mark moving on to a, to a new set of stories, a new set of actions from this action hero, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in the house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them. They were following him. Jesus had gotten, there were quite a few people following him at that point. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. There's this invitation to grace. Uh, I've mentioned this before, um, and it shows up here in this series of stories that we're reading again. But uh, Mark is, is a, a man of brevity. Man, Mark is a man to the point. He is... He is bringing out this action that Jesus is involved in. He moves from one action to the, to the next action. He's very brief oftentimes in his description. Even, for instance, in this calling of Levi or Matthew, as Jesus is going to call him. Uh, and and uh, the text simply says uh, in verse 14, uh, follow me. And he got up and followed him. That's, that's, that's the extent of the, of the call of Levi. Levi was a tax collector. He was a Jew, but he was... 
he was hired, he was contracted with the Roman government to collect taxes from the Jewish people. Every nation that Rome took over, the, the people had to pay taxes. It's not unlike a, a ta- we have to pay tax. And they, even back then they had to pay tax. And the Jewish people had to pay tax. And the Romans would hire Jews to collect the taxes. Now we don't know this for certain in Levi's case, but tax collectors were notoriously crooked. Notoriously crooked. Tax collectors had the muscle of the Roman government behind them. And so they would demand tax from the people, whatever the Roman government required, but the tax collectors would add a percentage to it or add an amount to it. If you owed $100 to the Roman government, the tax collector might come to you and say, you owe $150. And, of course, the tax collectors would pocket the difference. Now, everybody knew this went on. The Roman government knew it went on, but they didn't care. As long as they got what was coming to them, as long as they got their share, there was no trouble. They didn't care what the tax collectors got. So the tax collectors became very wealthy, abusing the system and abusing the people. Now, as you can imagine, that made these guys about as popular as Justin Bieber at the Sturgis bike rally. Or, or Ted Nugent at a PETA convention. <laughs> Throw it out of that there for us old guys. <laughs> but listen, here's the point. None of that matters to God. None of, none of what, what was, none of, none of what their life was, none of how, of how these people acted, none of that mattered. That's why it's called grace, ladies and gentlemen. That's why it's called Grace. Now, I want you to notice something. There's sort of a pattern here. And it is a pattern that should be uh, discernible, I think, every single time. The pattern uh, starts with this. It looks like this. Grace is extended. First, it starts with grace is extended. Jesus uh, passes by Levi's tax booth. He's got a tax booth set up. The people would come by and they they would pay him. And Jesus simply says, follow me. Akulathe moi is the way it puts it in the Greek. It's a very uh, stern uh, calling. It comes from uh, a noun, kaluthos, which means a path. And in this particular case, in verse 14, it's a present uh, imperative verb. So in other words, Jesus is, is very sternly saying to Levi slash Matthew, come follow me down a path that is going to change your life. Come follow me down a path. Don't look back. Don't, th- this is not the time to say, well, uh, let me get back to you on that. Uh, let me give some thought to this. No, I think Matthew, Levi, clearly understood that this was a critical moment in his life. The creator of the universe was passing by and he was extending grace to Levi. Come, follow me. Notice the next part of the pattern. Grace is extended and grace is accepted. Levi, the text simply says, and he got up and followed him. And he got up and followed him. Now, I, I, I'm... I doubt seriously that Levi had a full grasp of everything that was going to happen as a result of this decision of his. But I'm pretty sure that Levi knew that everything was going to be different as a result of this. I'm pretty sure that Levi understood that the path would never lead back by the tax booth again. And that his life was going to be radically different as a result of following Jesus. Listen, that's, that's just how it works. That's just how it is. That the call to follow has to be accepted. I, I think I've talked about this guy before, but uh, 
I was, I was sharing the great news about Jesus with a guy one time. And uh, I told him who Jesus was and told him what Jesus did and told him what Jesus made possible uh, for us. And, and I finished and I, and I asked him, I said, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to uh, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today? And the guy looked right at me and he says, yeah. And I said, well, well why? He says, because I love getting drunk and chasing women. Now, some of you know, may remember, I've talked about that guy before and I've said, I can commend that guy for his honesty. But see, there's a guy that's not, not ready to receive this, this grace gift that's being extended. There's a guy that's not, not ready to make a change in his life. And, and this path that God calls us down is a path that's it's just, listen, right? It's just going to change your life. It's going to change your life. I, I'm reading uh, uh, A.W. Tozer's The Set of the Sail. And uh, I came across this quote that kind of deals with this idea. And uh, Tozer says this. He says, uh, the heart that has felt the weight of its own sin, and along with this has seen the dread whiteness of the Most High God. Do you understand what he means by that? Has seen the the dread whiteness of the Most High God. Will never believe that a message of forgiveness without transformation is a message of good news. Do you understand what Tozer is saying? Nobody would believe that, that this could be good news if it doesn't change my life. There's going to have to be a change as a result of this. To remit a man's past without transforming his present is to violate the moral sincerity of his own heart. To that kind of thing, God will be no party. In other words, what Tozer is saying, that, that this invitation that God extends, this grace that God extends is a, is, a, is a grace gift that will change our life and it will change who we are. We have, a, we have a, a, a new priority. We have a new power in life. We have a new path that we travel on as a result of accepting this invitation. And then look at the third part of, uh, of this. Grace is extended further. It, it's just the natural byproduct Grace is extended to Levi. He accepts that invitation. And so he extends it to those that he knows. The text says that the house is full of sinners and tax collectors. Why? Because that's who Levi was. That's, that's, his, that's his posse. That's his group. That's his people. That's who he knows. That's who he hangs out with. That's the only people that wanted to hang out with him. And Levi has started down this path. He's received this grace gift of God. And the natural thing for Levi to do is want to share that grace gift with everyone else. Of course, the religious, the religious crowd come along, right? Why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? See, they just failed to understand the very purpose of his coming. The very reason why he came. And Jesus gives this, this beautiful analogy of a physician and, and the sick. And he finishes with that statement. He says, I, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. By the way, Jesus in no way is implying that uh, the religious Pharisees were righteous. Not at all. What he was saying was, I'm extending this grace gift to any person that will recognize their own sin, respond to my calling on their life, repent, and follow me. Whoever they are, whatever they've done, wherever they've been to. Listen, the religious leaders, this is good. The religious leaders, all they could, all they could see is what those, those guys were. All they could see is what those guys had done. But listen, here's a good word. Some of you might want to write this down about grace. Grace sees past what was. Grace sees past what is. Grace sees what can be, ladies and gentlemen. Grace sees what can be. 
Oh, they were, they were, yeah, they were sinners. They weren't keeping the law. They didn't care about the law. They were ripping people off. But Jesus extended grace to them. Levi accepted that grace. And Levi responded by, by extending that grace to others. So, let me, let me, well, have I got time? Let me, I don't have time. Let me give you verse scripture. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, look at this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Okay. <laughs> this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. Maybe y'all just weren't as big a sinners as me before Christ. But that is really good to me. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And watch this. And God has given us this task of reconciling. See? Notice, extend it, accept it, and now extend it further. Extend this people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, praise God. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ, say it, ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak For Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. When we plead, come back to God. Grace is extended. Grace is accepted. And grace is extended further. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you know that I mentioned uh, this this. Uh, reach out strategy at Cross Culture Church, invite and invest, that we have to get on board with that beginning in 2014. We have to take this further, this idea of inviting those without a relationship with Jesus, inviting those that we know, inviting those neighbors, those co-workers, those friends, those family members. And if you were here, and if you weren't, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message because I brought out the statistics in that that showed that statistically speaking, if you and I don't reach the people that we know, statistically speaking, they probably won't be reached. And so, so we've got to be Christ's ambassadors. We've got to do this. So two questions I want to ask you this morning before we move on to the second concept. Have you accepted this invitation to grace? Have you personally accepted this invitation to grace? Now listen to me. Listen to me. Don't, don't gloss over that. Don't, oh yeah, I did that when I was eight years old. Or don't, knowing what Jesus was saying, follow me, this new path, this new direction for your life. Everything's going to change as a result of following me. Have you accepted this invitation to grace? If not, can I say this to you? And it's okay. I, I pray that there are people here that are not, not that I don't want you to be saved, but I'm just saying I pray that people are coming in that are, that are, in, that are in process and people that are thinking about, well, I don't, I don't know, whatever. Can I say this to you? If you're here this morning and you've never accepted this invitation of grace, the grace giver is passing by you just like he did Levi that day. And he's saying to you, follow me. Follow me. Come on. I got a new path for you. I got new purposes. I got new plans for you. It's the invitation of grace. Let me give you the second concept today, or the second uh, question. Have you extended grace further? Does it stop with you? Are you holding it in, keeping it to yourself? Or are there people around you, like there are people around me, that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that do not know of this grace? Is that it? Do we just stop right here and say, glad I made it. Got my ticket punched. Come on. Y'all know what I'm saying? Are we going to extend this grace further? That's that's a challenge for us this year, to extend this grace further. Okay, let me get to the second concept uh, this morning. 
it's a celebration of grace. And I'm going to have to fly through some of this here. Uh, we'll see if we get it all done or not. It's a celebration. It's an invitation of grace, and it's a celebration of grace. Looking at verse 18, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And so, so you've got John's disciples fasting. You've got the Pharisees, the religious guys, they're, they're fasting. And they came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they'll fast in that day. Uh, John, when it refers to John's disciples in the text, by the way, I, most of you may know this, but it's, it's referring to John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been the forerunner of Jesus. He uh, has, has gone before Jesus telling people, hey, the He's here. The Messiah is here. Get ready. Make way the ready. Uh, make way the path of the Lord. And he's, he's from this message. He, John had gathered up disciples. Now we know from John chapter 1, from the book of John chapter 1, that, that John the Baptist had said to his disciples, hey, he pointed at Jesus and said, basically said, this is the guy you ought to be following now. And so they'd been following John the Baptist, remember, right? And John the Baptist led a very humble life. He lived out in the wilderness. He, he wore animal skins. He, he, he ate locusts and, and wild honey. I mean, that, that's a very meager life, wouldn't you say? So they've been following John, and, and they've probably been joining John in this bugs and bee diet that he's been on, and they're, they're living out in the wilderness, and now, now, John said, hey, there's a guy you got to be following. So they're following Jesus, and they watch him, and he's in there uh, with, with the people that nobody, no you know, self-respecting or you know, good, no moral person would ever hang out with these people. And Jesus is in there partying up like Nicki Minaj or something in there with him. <laughs> maybe, not, maybe not like Nicki Minaj, but, he's, but he's, 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 he's partying up. He's having a good time in there. Now listen, I'm sure that Jesus was teaching spiritual truth. I'm sure that he's imparting wisdom to them. But I'm also sure that they're just having a good time in there. They're enjoying each other's companies. They're asking questions. There's some bantering going on. I suspect there's a good bit of laughter in there. Jesus seems to have a a, a sense of humor about him. And so John's disciples are a little confused. They're saying, you know, we live this way with John, but now look at Jesus in there. He seems to be having a good time in there, and he's... And so they want some clarification. Now, the Pharisees, on the other hand, are fasting for a whole other, whole different reason. As best, I could te- as best as I can tell, uh, the Jewish people originally only had one official fast day that I can think of all year. And that was on Yom Kippur, on Day of Atonement. But religious people had added to the, this commandment and more and more fast days had been added in. As a matter of fact, the religious people tended to add more and more uh, rituals and rules and regulations to all of the original commandments of God. And so they're, they're, they've got fast days for almost everything. And so they're looking at it and they're saying, you know, John's disciples, they fast. We're fasting. Why don't you fast? And Jesus gives this spectacular response when, when, he, when he uses this, this bridegroom analogy. Now listen, John's disciples should have, and I believe did pick up on this, because John, in John chapter 3, verse 29, John the Baptist had referred to Jesus as, guess what, the bridegroom. So I think John's disciples probably picked up on it when Jesus said, when the bridegroom is at the party, uh, you don't really fast, do you? 
I mean, what an incredible insult to go to somebody's wedding and say, no, no, I don't want your meal. I'll have none of your wedding cake. Congratulations. <laughs> Jesus said that would be like the, the, the biggest insult in the world. How could you possibly? No, you, you're going you're gonna to participate in that meal. Now, let me say this. Jesus does imply, I think in this text, and Jesus does teach that there is a place for fasting among his followers. He, he hints at it when he says, there'll come a day when the bridegroom's not around when, when fasting is appropriate. But the point that Jesus is making in response to their question, listen, here it is. The point he's making is, ladies and gentlemen, your walk with Jesus Christ shouldn't look like a funeral. It should look like a wedding. It should be a celebration of what God has done for us and his grace that has been extended to us. We, I mentioned a moment ago we were in Florida uh, this past week, uh, and I'm, I really, I'm sorry about all that bad weather y'all had up here while we had 70 degrees of sunshine down there. But we had a good time. We went, we went with Travis and Lauren and, and uh, Emery and Ellie and went down there, and we stayed at Nickelodeon you know, Resort, and the kids had fun, and that was, that was cool. We went to Universal Studios and, and, you know, and all that, and we had fun, and that was good and all that kind of stuff and, and doing everything. Uh, but uh, we went on down. We stopped and saw my sister. We went on down to Cindy's sister and, and stayed with her a couple of days. And while we were there, Cindy's sister showed us a video. I had never seen this, a video of my ordination service at First Baptist Church Okeechobee uh, nearly 20 years ago, uh, my ordination service. And, uh, boy, that was, I was a lot younger and thinner then. So. Go figure. But anyway, um, the, the Dick Whipple, the pastor, Dick Whipple, performed the ordination, brought that ordination message that day. And Pastor Whipple was, was the uh, man, spiritually speaking, that uh, Cindy and I grew up under. And Pastor Whipple used to have this saying. Uh, never, he had a lot of sayings, but one of his sayings was this. He says, too many Christians act like they were baptized in vinegar. Right? You get that, right? You understand what he's saying? Why? Why are followers of Jesus, why do they often go around so forlorn and downcast and, and acting like, whoa, it's me, I'm a follower of Jesus, oh. When we ought to be celebrating the fact that God's grace has been extended to us and it ought to be nothing but a, but a life of victory. Let, real quickly, I, boy, I gotta, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna participate in this act, but I, I need to give you this real quick. Let me tell you why we ought to to do this. And I'll bring this statement up because it's, it's worth bringing up on the same. It is absolutely imperative that we choose to celebrate the fact that grace has come into our lives. I want to say it again. It is absolutely imperative that we choose to celebrate that grace has come into our lives because much of life is, is not something to celebrate, is it? Much of life is hard. Much of life is, is, is misery at times. Much of life is painful. Much of life is, is uncertain and, and fear and all that kind of stuff. And so it is absolutely, say it again, it's absolutely imperative that you and I choose to celebrate the fact that grace has come into our lives. Because whether our circumstances are good or not, the, the spiritual reality is, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, grace has come into your life. Here's why it's important that we, that we do that. First, it reflects back to God the glory that is His. Basically, it's giving credit where credit is due. When we uh, celebrate the grace of God in our life, and, and by celebration... Whether you have a party at your house, and I don't care. I'm just talking about that what comes out of our life is a reflection of the fact that we're joyous. We're, we're filled with joy at the very idea that God would redeem us, that he would, that he would buy us back. And so when, when we reflect that in our lives, it reflects back to God the glory that is his. Second, 
it reminds us of how far God has brought us. Now listen, I don't know if you're like me, but I do not like to think about my life before Jesus. I don't. It is not pleasant to think back to the depth of my sin and the degrees of depravity that, that, that would be in my life as a result of not following Jesus. I don't like that. But the very fact that grace has come into my life allow, reminds me of how far God has brought me and what he has done for me. And it helps me appreciate. And if it's anything we ought to appreciate, it's the grace of God. Third, it restores our hope for the future. Because no matter how hard it is in life, no matter what is is pounding at your door of your life, when fear and anxiety, uncertainty and doubt and, and all those things come rushing at you, it restores our hope in the future. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the book doesn't end here. This is not how this finishes for you or me. And then finally, it reveals to others the reality and the value of our faith. When, when people see you celebrating the victory that is yours, even in the midst of your stuff, y'all know what your stuff is? Even in the midst of your stuff, and they look at their own stuff, hey, and guess what? Their stuff looks remarkably similar to your stuff. Their messes, their problems, their uncertainties, their disappointments, their job losses, their, their cancer diagnosis, their uh, you, whatever, all that kind of stuff. Their stuff looks remarkably similar to our stuff. And when they see us, Having victory in the midst of that, it reveals to them, hey, they're not, they don't, they're not just talking about, oh yeah, I go to church. They're living this stuff out. And it reveals to them the fact that there's some value to this thing. There's some value to following Jesus. Because if you can have victory, if you can celebrate in the midst of your stuff, man, sign me up. Where do I get some of that? It reveals to others the reality and the value of our faith. Let me remind you real quickly. This thing called grace that that we say so much, but we often don't slow down enough to think about. This value of grace. Can Can I just tell you what gives you such value, what gives such value to this thing called grace? Before we close, before we go into the Lord's Supper this morning. It's the expense of grace. We sang, we are so glad we sang that song this morning. We'll never know how much it cost. We will never be able to comprehend what it costs God to redeem us, but we can at least consider it. We can at least slow down enough to think about the fact that God Almighty, the eternal existent one, broke into time and space, which he created, by the way, took on human flesh, became a human being, a sinless, perfect human being. And he allowed his creation to abuse him, and mock him, and ridicule him, and reject him, and beat him, and spit on him, and ultimately hang him on a cross. And he allowed, and I I fully confess, I don't have a clue how this works. It is a great mystery to me. But in some mysterious way, he allowed all of the sin of the entire world that would ever, ever had been, ever was, or ever would be committed to be hung on him at one moment of time. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Oh my goodness. It's the expense of grace makes it an incredibly valuable thing to us. And we should never forget what it cost God. Now listen, some of you heard me say this before, but it's it's worth repeating. God's grace costs you nothing. It is absolutely a free gift to you. But don't you dare think 
that that means that grace is cheap. Because we will never be able to fully comprehend what it costs God to make it possible for us to be the righteousness of him, to be adopted into the family, which is, let me just go on, it's the extent of grace. I love one of the great things about this story in Mark is that it just shows just how far the grace of God goes. That it doesn't doesn't matter, oh, you're a sinner, oh, you're a tax collector, oh, you've messed up, oh, you've, the extent of grace, it reaches to anyone and to everyone. So many stories I could tell of, of my own life or people's lives that, that, that you would have said, oh, God, God could never save them. God, they, they, they'll never get saved. But the extent of grace to reach so far. Look at this passage of Scripture in uh, Romans chapter 8. Uh, but in all these things, we are completely victorious through God who showed his love for us. Yes, I'm sure that not, neither death nor life nor angels nor ruling spirits, nothing now, nothing in the future, no powers, nothing above us, nothing below us, nor anything else in the whole world will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't matter who you are. Listen, if you're here and you're, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how wicked you think you've been, it does the extent of grace to reach you and me. And then one more, the extravagance of grace. <laughs> I don't know why this is. I don't know why this is, but it seems to me that oftentimes when we talk about the grace of God, we end up talking more about what grace gets us out of than what grace gets us into. Have you ever noticed that? I couldn't tell you how many evangelist sermons I've heard on the horrors of hell. Hey, and hell is a real thing, and it is, I am genuinely grateful that, that I don't have to go to hell. Hell, uh, grace does provide a rescue. I'm, I'm extremely grateful that I don't have to go to hell. But it seems to me that when we talk about grace, we ought to talk a little bit about what grace gives to us. So grace not only provides a rescue, ladies and gentlemen, grace provides a relationship. See, I tell people this all the time. It's not about rules and regulations. It's not a, this is about a personal, intimate, ongoing, vibrant relationship with the living God. Uh, look at this passage of Scripture uh, real quick. Um, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. Some of you know Abba was a, was a, a term of endearment. It's like saying, Daddy, can you imagine you and I get to say to God Almighty, Daddy? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Grace brings us a relationship, ladies and gentlemen. All right, <laughs> let me give you one more. This is good. I don't care if we're going to be a little late this morning, but I got to give this to you because this is good. Grace, grace provides a residence for us. Grace provides a home. Listen. I said it a minute ago, I'm going to say it again. This ain't it. I know that's not good English. But if you're a follower of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, you're not home yet. I don't understand it all. I don't know it all. I don't, I don't know what it's all going to look like. I don't, but I know that God is preparing something for us that will last on into eternity that is greater than you and I can possibly ever even imagine. And the very knowledge of that helps me in the midst of my stuff here now. I'm not home yet. This is not the end. No matter what happens, this is not it. Listen, I got, I got to read this to you. Revelation chapter 22. The description actually begin, begins in chapter 21. But let me read Revelation chapter 22, uh, verse 1 through 5 to you. Then he showed me a river of the water of life. This is the description right at the end of the book of Revelation. Right at the end of the book of the Bible. At the end of the Bible. 
And John is describing uh, this, this new heaven and this new earth and this, this new home, this new residence. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no, no longer be any night. They will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. It is the extravagance of grace. Thanks, Pastor. I don't know about you, but hearing the story of the call of Levi, I can't help but think about my own life and God's call to me. As Pastor Clay reminded us today, when God's grace is extended, it has to be accepted. And when it is, the natural thing should be to extend that grace further to our friends and family, as Levi did. We also heard a great reminder that our life of grace should look more like a wedding than a funeral. Life can get us down sometimes, and if we're not careful, we can allow our circumstances to affect our outlook on life. Grace is something worth celebrating, and others need to see us celebrating what God has done for us, even when things around us aren't the best. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, We experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross, and it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.